You've been working at a multitude of companies for a majority of your life. After saving up some money over the years, you finally have enough to start your own business. As a first-time business owner, you're making sure all the paperwork is done correctly, employees are hired, and all the equipment is where it needs to be. You think you're already starting off as a great owner. And then you think about it a little more. What does it mean to be a great owner? Welcome to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business at Baylor University. My name is Bo Mello. And I'm Justin Walker. Today, we have Professor of Entrepreneurship and Chair of the Department of Entrepreneurship and Corporate Innovation, Peter Klein, to talk about his research on ownership competence. How are you today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that we were really intrigued by is a lot of research articles have really long titles, and yours is two words, and it's the main topic of conversation, owner competence. Can you talk about what that is? Sure. I appreciate you picking up on that. I have an aversion to lengthy titles with <laughs> subtitles and jargon in them. We wanted something pithy. Um, uh, in the um, literature on business performance, strategic management, organization, innovation, and so forth, there's been a lot of emphasis on recent years on you know kind of different analytical frameworks and concepts for explaining why some companies perform well, other companies perform less well. Um, for years, the dominant perspective had to do with sort of industry positioning or positioning relative to rivals in the industry. But there's an also a strand of research that points to capabilities or competencies inside an organization. It could be core resources like patents or technical know-how or physical resources, but it, it's also sort of knowledge, abilities, the capability to do things well, which can also be at the individual level. Now, the capabilities that have been studied are capabilities typically about management, so how do you, you know, deal with people? How do you uh, perform the HR function? And it makes sense that some people are better managers than others. Right. There are sort of innovative capabilities as well. But one of the things my colleagues and I noticed is that no one ever talked about ownership as if it were also a capability or a competence. It's sort of assumed that, yeah, of course, companies have owners, right? They might be absentee shareholders. They might be local owners. But that doesn't really matter. That's sort of a technical legal issue. The only thing that matters is how well you manage, how well you innovate, and so forth. And we thought, but wait a minute, maybe who owns the company and how well that ownership function is exercised might have an impact on company performance. And that's the argument that we make in this paper. That's fantastic. And so that that actually makes a lot of sense that the ownership would have a, a say in that um, and in effect on their actual company. Uh, but how did you guys get to defining what ownership competence was? Yeah, so we're trying to build on uh, previous work that deals with other kinds of competencies. So ownership competence is a skill. It's Think of it as the ability with which the ownership function is performed. So what is the ownership function? Well, ownership typically does not manifest itself in day-to-day -day control over some activity or some uh, process or uh, organization, but rather what we call residual control. It's sort of like um, you're the last you're the ultimate decision maker when push comes to shove, even though you may delegate a lot of the day-to-day -day decision authority to other people. You know, the um, uh, President Truman supposedly had this little thing on his desk that said the buck stops here. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea was you can pass the buck to other people, 
But when you're the guy in that chair, when you're the president, there's no one you can pass the buck to. You've got to make the decision. Right, you can't right. punt to somebody else. We originally had the buck stops here as part of the title, but <laughs> that was considered to be too much of an American colloquialism. But oh, that's kind of okay. what we mean is, you know, if you're an employee, you can try to figure out what to do. But if you if you if you ultimately don't know, you can pass the buck on to your manager, right. who can then pass the buck on to another manager and so forth. But at some point, it stops. And there's no more buck passing allowed. And that's what we describe as the function of ownership. It's making these tough decisions in cases where nobody else knows what to do. There's no prior arrangement and a document or a contract. You've got to figure it out. Who, you know, who performs that role? Well, that's what owners ultimately do. Right? Yeah, that makes total sense. So in the, in the publication, you talk about three aspects of ownership competency, and um, you defined them as governance matching and timing. Um, can you talk about, you know, how did you define those and explain why they're important to ownership competency? Yeah, we're trying to add a little bit more richness to the, the concept and ha- figure out how we could apply it to different companies in different cases. So what we call governance con- uh, competence, sorry, governance competence can be a little bit of a tongue twister, <laughs> is that's what we call how to own. Like given some assets that you have ownership and ultimate control over, are you good at knowing, you know, when to step in and make your voice heard, when to lay back and allow the people that you're working with, people you've hired maybe, to make those decisions? So that can be specific to a product or an industry or a a type of firm. It could be relative to what else you're doing in your own professional life as the owner, whether you're a single owner or a part, part of a partnership, or maybe there are lots of owners and you're just one of them. So governance competence relates to how well you can uh, own the assets that are already under your control. What we call matching competence is figuring out what assets are a good match for you. So, I mean, what am I good at owning So maybe I have some, you know, like in tech, for example, you have some uh, proprietors and some investors like angel investors, maybe who play that ownership role, who are themselves former engineers or coders or expertise. So industry expertise might be one way to figure out, hey, this is a good thing for me to own. It could also be uh, I own some other companies or other projects that are a good complement to this. So matching competence is matching the owner to the thing that is owned and the ability to do that well. And the third one, what we call timing competence, is when to own, like when should I buy, when should I sell, do I time the market, you know, how do I make sure that I'm doing things at the right time for me and for the firm. Yeah, that makes sense. How do you how do you go about measuring that those competencies? Yeah, it's a great question. So in this specific paper, and I think you'll probably have a link on the podcast. There's a paper, and then there was a comment and a reply to the comment. These are more kind of theoretical, conceptual framing papers. So these are not empirical studies themselves, though okay. we do pro- do provide some illustrative examples great. of cases where you know owners seem to be high in ownership competence, and cases where they seem to be low. But yeah, so you could develop um, scales. Right. That look at um, what owners actually do during the day, what kind of ownership rights, sorry, what kind of control rights do owners hold 
for themselves? Which ones do they delegate to other people? So there are different ways that we can characterize the way that owners actually own. Then we can match that with pretty standard measures of company performance, profitability, or growth, or market value, or innovation, or whatever. And there are a lot of testable implications in our theoretical framework that we and some colleagues are working on testing uh, at the moment. Yeah, that makes total sense. So we we defined that you have these three external criteria. How did you even come on to landing on those criteria for, to help with the ownership competence? Good question. I think a lot of sitting in a dark room, staring at the wall. Yeah, I don't know exactly, <laughs> but uh, w- what I can say is I can give you a little bit more background and context for how the, the idea came about. I mean, I, I have been convinced and my colleagues have been convinced as well for a long time that the concept of ownership is sort of under studied, under-analyzed, under-theorized in business schools because we say, oh, that's something the law school does. We don't really care about that. We're all about management and administration. And so I thought, you know, but but ownership really is a big deal. For example, there's a whole branch of literature in like economics and economic development on property rights. Mm -hmm. So one of the keys to economic growth in, um, you know, developing regions is often you know, a system like a court system that assigns property titles, protects them, you can enforce your property rights, that which gives you the incentive to invest and to, to try to increase the value of your property and so forth. So there's a lot of appreciation that ownership and property in some sense are important, but we felt like that wasn't really part of the management literature. We wanted to sort of bring that in. And just as a footnote, you know, one of the things I think is really important for advancing good research and also teaching in the business school is, you know, to try to be interdisciplinary, Mm -hmm. to focus not just on the conventional business topics and theories and frameworks, but to bring things in from the outside. So in this case, we had people on our team who had some background in law and had some background in political science and economic development. And they said, hey, in our area, we have a whole bunch of ideas about ownership and property that seem to be absent in this business strategy literature. Can we think about how to bring those in and maybe generate some new insight? Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. So what kind of impact does this concept have on owners and entrepreneurs? Yeah, so we think that uh, you know, defining and uh, dimensionalizing ownership in this way has some practical lessons for people to be better owners, yeah. right? So, I mean, we haven't developed a specific training module, but that's something that we would like to do in the future, some sorts of programs and activities that will help people to improve their level of ownership competence, to figure out where it's best exercise, like in yeah. what industries or activities am I well-suited to be an owner, to help improve their the timing and so forth. A lot of that is understanding yourself, Right, understanding your own abilities, your own preferences, your experiences, your traits and attributes, but also understanding, of course, the characteristics of machines and companies and business models and so forth, where you could potentially play that valuable owner role. Just to give you one example, I mentioned earlier industry experience, but that can be a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. I mean, some former industry experts do not make good owners because they intervene too often. Mm, that my right. colleagues and I actually did a study, uh, Not it's not directly related to this paper, but indirectly related of uh, companies, European companies that were increasing their investments in IT. It was about, you know, digitalization, the impact of having better IT systems. And now, of course, we're all talking about AI, how AI can improve management. One of the things that we found is that uh, adding more digital technology was 
uh, leading to some sort of delayering, you know, the elimination oh, okay. of some middle management layers so that senior managers could be closer to the action. And that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, from an employee's point of view, you think, oh, well, let's get rid of the bureaucrats in the middle. No offense, associate deans who yeah. might be listening. But, <laughs> you know, if we flatten the hierarchy, we'll, that will be more empowering to, 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 to employees. What we found is exactly the opposite. Hmm. That delayering and cutting out some of those middle management layers led senior managers to intervene more rather than less because now they have all this data, they have all these dashboards, you know, they can track what every person is doing and where every project is at any moment. That is not necessarily a good thing for people in the field because mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want the right. – senior officials or the owners, you know, peering over your shoulder, sort of getting in your way. There's a, in, uh, uh, in my, uh, a book that I published last year, we quote something from Elon Musk, one of our, I guess, sort of locals in a sense, yeah, that yeah, SpaceX in a <laughs> is in our area, you know, rattling our windows at night. But, um, uh, Elon Musk famously sent an email to Tesla employees where he talked about how flat, and democratic the organization yeah. was. And he said, hey, at Tesla, any any employee can speak to any other employee directly without going through an intermediary, even the CEO. So the idea was, you know, you're the lowest level employee at Tesla. Yeah. You know, you sweep the floors in the factory. You're one phone call or one email away from Elon Musk. That sounds great. Yeah. But remember, that also means that Elon Musk is one email or phone call away from you. Yeah. And I'm not so sure how I would feel about yeah. that yeah. if I were working at Tesla. So what I'm getting to is one issue that some owners have is they're too close to the action, mm -hmm. and they tend to get involved. They get over-involved in sort of operational affairs. That's typically not the trait of a good manager, which, by the way, is one of the reasons that uh, that like worker-owned cooperatives tend not to perform as well in most cases as conventional investor-owned firms because the workers are too the owner workers are too close to the action. Yeah. Being a worker and an owner does not typically make you a better owner. Ironically, yeah. it may make you a worse owner. And so we have some discussion in the paper and are doing some follow-up projects to look at some of these details like what kind of ownership structure should a company have, proprietorship, partnership, you know, uh, corporation, uh, cooperative, and there's a lot of good um, literature on that that hasn't yet been brought into the strategy field, but we're working on that. That's incredible. Yeah. And you talked about the um, there was a response to the paper, and then you had a response to that response. Can you talk about kind yeah. of what came from that? Sure. So, um, you know, sometimes with academic articles, actually, this is a good thing because most academic articles get ignored. <laughs> yeah. They get read by, you know, 2.5 readers on average, including the mom of the author. <laughs> um, but uh, our paper did uh, – some other scholars, some actually friends of mine who are in Brazil – they read our paper and they said, oh, this is this is good, but but the authors missed this extra thing. So okay. they wrote a formal commentary, which the journal that published our paper, Strategic Management Journal, agreed to publish in a little comment section. Then we were invited to write a response. So there'll be like a little dialogue, you know, comment and reply, which yeah. I think is great. I love to read those and yeah. I wish there were more of them in right. the academic journals. There's, But what, what these authors said is they, they, they liked our basic framework, but they said we should have also included another kind of a competence that has to do with government policy and, you know, uh, other parts of the institutional environment like norms mm. and culture and so forth. They yeah. said maybe some owners are good at picking the right 
kind of institutional environment, like knowing what country you should operate in right. or knowing what city or region or which type of customer or which type of employee from like a social or cultural perspective you ought to be pursuing. And, yeah. you know, we, we appreciate that. And we wrote back that we liked their idea. We, you know, we, we think that what, uh, that institutions and policies work better if they're sort of incorporated into our existing three rather than adding a fourth competence. But I mean, we agree with the general idea that all of this literature, including our work, probably should pay more explicit attention to the legal system and the political system and the social and cultural social and cultural trends that certainly affect how well business can perform. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can definitely see where that would factor into matching and governance. But timing might be a little tricky to, to put those things into, but I mean, timing is... Oh, yeah. Is important as well. For so. sure. I mean, a story that people that's not as well known as it should be relates to Enron, you know, the infamous <laughs> company, guess. huge energy company that collapsed uh, more than 10 years ago now, 15 yeah. years ago. Um, that was the biggest corporate scandal before. Let's see what came after that. Uh, Theranos. And, yep. <laughs> uh, and now you've got Silicon Valley Bank. But um, one of the things with Enron that, that is not widely appreciated is the guy who was the, the CEO, Kenneth Lay was his name. He I think he died in while awaiting trial, maybe? I can't remember. But he um, he was a former Carter administration energy bureaucrat, and he had helped to design some of the really complicated rules that govern energy transactions. And we have energy markets, but yeah. you know they're really complicated, and there's a lot of legislation and administrative rules that almost nobody can understand. Really... You know, Enron's the key to Enron's success while it was succeeding. Yeah. It wasn't like they were brilliant engineers or whatever. It's that they really understood the regulations better than anybody else. Right. That yeah. makes sense. So yeah. that could be a kind of uh, governance competence or matching competence or timing competence. Yeah. You know the regulatory system better than others. I don't think that's necessarily something that is good for society. Right. To have <laughs> yeah. people who are insiders, you know, or yeah. politically connected running things. But that is an example of something political and institutional that could affect matching uh, oh, governance yeah. matching or timing competence for sure. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So we, you've kind of hinted at this a little bit, but what what plans do you have going forward in this research? Are there any right now? Is there anything that you're looking at? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So my colleagues and I are doing some follow up studies, both to extend the theoretical framework, but also to do some more empirical work to try to measure at a broader level these different kinds of competencies and examine whether they really are associated with performance improvements the way that we think they should be. Um, one of my co-authors who is in uh, a university in Switzerland, St. Gallen University in Zurich, he has organized, is now organizing an annual conference. I think they call it Owners as Strategists. Oh, so now there's an ownership and strategy Owners as Strategist Conference uh, that takes place in the summer. Unfortunately, I'm not able to go to Switzerland this year. Uh, but they have like a uh, you know research day and then a practice day where they bring in European executives and investors oh, wow. and other people to learn more about this kind of framework and figuring figure out how to apply it. So, yeah, I'd love to see ownership competence as one of the standard, you know, theories or frameworks that's yeah. in all the textbooks. Hasn't happened yet, but, I mean, there's, there's still time. <laughs> yeah. There's still a lot of time left. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. No, totally get that. Um, so where does this uh, study fit within your research background? 
That's a great question. I mean, I am, as you mentioned in the intro, I'm in the entrepreneurship or Department of Entrepreneurship and Corporate Innovation. So I'm really interested in how new value is created, new organizations, new products, new business plans, and how existing organizations become, can become more innovative. But my background is actually more in the kind of uh, organizational structure and organizational okay. design literature. And so to me, this project is a nice combination of sort of entrepreneurship and innovation and org design, organizational structure, governance, and so forth. Because one of the points that we make in the intro, in the kind of motivation, which we haven't touched on yet, is that, you know, what we think, when we talk about a healthy growing economy, yeah. an innovative economy, right? It doesn't just mean the firms that you have now are great innovative firms. It also means, you know, there's a lot of what um, people sometimes call churn or what the famous economist Joseph Schumpeter called creative destruction. Okay. Namely, in a competitive system, you have new companies, new technologies, new products arising, and old ones kind of going away. Yeah. You know, a lot of bankruptcies, a lot of business failures, a lot of uh, products that become obsolete. That's not necessarily the sign of an unhealthy system. In fact, if we had the same companies and same products forever, that would be kind of stagnation, right? So right, we right. want this constant experimentation and uh, competition where some succeed and some have to go back and retrench and try right. again with a different model. So we think that one way to conceptualize that is, you know, a competitive market economy is really about the testing of ownership competence. Okay. Right? So successful people who are good at owning products and assets and business models end up being more successful. Those who have lower levels of ownership competence you know, are eventually, you know, sort of selected out of the market. Yeah. So if you like, competition can be understood as a process of trying to match ownership competence or owner ownership skill with actual ownership. Yeah. Like if it's a mismatch, the people who own are low in ownership competence, they're probably going to get competed out of the market. They yeah. won't remain owners for long. So really this project was inspired by, you know, some broader thinking among our group about what is competition? What does it mean to have a market economy? What is innovation all about? What kind of a society is more innovative and successful? And if it's dynamic and, you know, again, there's a lot of turnover, well, that really is about trying to match actual stuff to legal relationships, i.e. Yeah. ownership relationships that make sense in that those owners are able to create value using that stuff. Wow. Yeah. That makes yeah, that, sense. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's really uh, cool. <laughs> Do you have any other? No, questions? I was just about to say. I think that that kind of actually wraps up. I think that's a good little bow tie on our discussion today. So yeah. thank you so much, Peter, for coming on, and uh, we look forward to seeing what else you produce. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks uh, for talking today. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Innovative Business Podcast from the Hank Hammer School of Business. If you want to check out more episodes of Innovative Business or the Business Review Podcast from CJ Jackson go to handcammer.baylor.edu slash podcast. And if you would like to know even more about research and alumni stories from the Handcammer School of Business, go to bbr.baylor.edu. Thank you.